Amen. Well, as we get ready for the Word of God today, I know you guys love each other. You're excited to see each other. You got plenty of time after church. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful to go to a church that you love someone around you, everyone loves each other around them, and you get a good word from God? How many need a good word today? I mean, good one. We're going to close this. This sermon has been the longest sermon I've ever preached, three weeks. We're going to finish it today as we get into this, when the brook dries up. So go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. As we begin again, verse 1, I believe that we should already know it by memory. But in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, the Word of God says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite, not Tishbite, the Tishbite, from Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go! At once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in the place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have something to drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for me and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go home. Do as you've said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away as she did, and Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Let's keep going. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became, notice this, sometime later, everyone say sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became naturally stopped breathing. Just stop breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying. He laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought this tragedy also upon this widow that I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times And cry to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. 
The Lord heard Elijah's cry. The boy's life returned to him. And he lived. Elijah picked the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. Isn't it interesting? It wasn't the fact that the flower never ran out and everything. No, now I know there's a God. And I'll explain why she said that later. But let's finish this sermon. Amen? Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to understand. Give us peace, wisdom, and guidance as we open up your word. Father, your word is a double-edged sword. It can pierce us for our good. So I would pray as we humble ourselves that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. And you guys can have a seat as we get into this word today. As we finish part three of When the Brook Dries Up, I want to talk to you about when life shifts in ways you never imagined. Let me give you this example to understand where the Lord is leading me this morning. A couple of years ago, so I was talking to a pastor last week, and we were talking about something funny that happened to us. But a couple of years ago, me and I believe it was like 15 or so other pastors, we took a trip to Israel together. And we're on this plane for 13 plus hours. And as we looked at the sun, it was setting in such a way that it was beautiful. We've never seen it like this. And as we looked at the through the window, we see these beautiful sunsets and clouds, and we're on our way to Israel. I mean, come on, does it get more spiritual than that? I'm in a plane with a bunch of holy men. There's a beautiful sunset. We're on our way to the Holy Land. You can almost feel like God was sitting right next to us. And all of a sudden, the ride got bumpy. Not just a little bump. We're not just talking a little turbulence. We're talking that as the sun set and it was dark and everything was peace, all of a sudden, the plane began to free fall. Danny's knocked out. He's dead asleep. But see, all of these great, strong men of God turned into women. And all of these, I had one guy next to me, and I hope he doesn't watch this online, but I'm going to put him out there. His name is Patrick. And Patrick is six foot ten. Big, bald, black man sitting next to me, talking like, ah! oh my God. And he yelled that I was embarrassed. And the person next to me, he was a rabbi. And he grabbed my thigh so tight, I felt like I was screaming. And everyone was screaming because it was such a free fall. We thought it was over. We thought we were going to die that day. In fact, I'm not going to name names just in case you are watching online. But one of the pastors said something he should not have said. He slipped a little word out. And we were like, what? And when we landed, he said instantly with repentance, he said, listen, that doesn't count. We were at a different time zone. So let's pretend that never happened. So we were laughing about this as we were reminiscing about our way to Israel and what happened with the flight. But the captain said something interesting. You see, as we were walking out of the terminal in the airport, the captains and the attendants were all there. And one of the pastors had to find out, hey, what happened up there? Why did the plane just suddenly start falling? And and why did that happen? And that captain, I'll never forget what he explained to us. He said, I apologize. He apologized. He said, we just hit an air pocket. And I said, air pocket? What's that? And he says, an air pocket 
is when you're flying and you're at good speed and the wind's against you, but everything's flowing right. But all of a sudden, there's a shift in the wind. And this unseen shift causes resistance that the plane's not ready for. And as these resistance come, it's a sudden shift and the plane can no longer contain it. So it stalls. And that's why you felt the plane falling because the plane was just stalling. Does it ever feel like that's a picture of your life? You see, I looked out the window. There's a beautiful sunset. We have our Bibles. I'm around the men of God. It's spiritual. And then things go dark. Things get bumpy. Does it ever feel like, you know, there's a shift in your life you never saw coming? And you have all these resistance at you. And it feels like your life has stalled. It feels like you're going under. You're not going to make it. And you begin to act in ways you thought you'd never act. You begin to say things you thought you'd never say. You begin to fear. But see, folks, life is a series of shifts. And some days you're up and high and beautiful and everything's great and things are good. Some days it feels like a beautiful sunset. And that it feels like you're up and everything's great. You know, I stood here two years ago and married the woman of my dreams. And I'm literally on this stage and I saw her come down the aisle. That was one of the best days of my life. Sometimes you can remember that was my day, Pastor. I remember my wedding day and the vows and everything was beautiful. Maybe you're here and you can remember the birth of your child. And how now you felt like there was a reason to live and a purpose. Maybe it was a time you got the job of your dreams and you got hired. Or maybe it's when you go to the doctor and the doctor says everything's great, everything checks out. Sometimes it's even in church, all of you are acting right. And everything's great. Then things shift. What do you do when life shifts in ways you never saw coming? When it feels like your life has hit a hot pocket and not the good ones in the microwave. I'm talking about the ones you weren't ready for. What do you do when your life hits a pocket that you have unseen resentment and resistance and it feels like your life begins to stall? And that marriage that was once beautiful and, and it's, it was so good, now it's in crisis and it's stalled. Or that child you once held in your arms became a teenager and it's a whole different person now. And they're creating all this unnecessary resistance towards you. Or the job that did hire you now says we have to lay you off. Or the doctor that once said everything checks out, you're great, now is trying to muster up the strength to tell you you have cancer. What do you do when life just shifts? And all of a sudden, it feels like you're free falling. And your life has stalled. Your love for that person has stalled. Your hope for that dream has stalled. Your patience for this situation has stalled. And it feels like you're going under. Folks, we landed. I'm here today because we landed. And I'm here today not only because we landed, but I'm here today because I had a pilot that knew how to handle the shift. And when we were all in that terminal, we looked at that pilot and we just said, thank you. 
And he says, you don't need to thank me. It's part of my job. I believe as a church, we have to learn how to manage the shifts in life. Because see, what happens is when things begin to shift, it can be frightening. It's like an earthquake. Because you have the tectonic plates that are shifting. And that shift is creating such a resistance that the world begins to feel like the whole world is shaking and things are falling apart. It can be scary when life begins to shift. And this is the story of Elijah's life. Elijah was a man of God. And Elijah went through ups and downs and ups and downs. Elijah went through times where things were good and things were bad. Things were great and things were terrible. Elijah had to learn how to manage the shifts in his life. Because Elijah, things would shift from good to bad and he would all of a sudden have unseen resistance headed his way. There were times that Elijah was spiritual and he was high on life and everything was great because God was answering his prayers and he was doing miracles. But then there were other times that he shifted and he was in depression asking God to take his life because he could not understand why a woman named Jezebel wanted to kill him. There were times that Elijah was preaching literally with fire And there were times that he just wanted to eat and be alone and die because he had to learn to shift. Shifting is hard. When life changes on you, you can begin to wonder, what is God doing? Is my life over? Is this the end? Is there more? There is nothing worse than coming to church and worshiping and singing songs and listening to a sermon when you feel like your life has stalled. When you feel like everything's going under. And you're trying to maintain a smile. You're trying to say amen, hallelujah, good to see you, brother. Yes, amen, sister. But deep down inside, things are shifting in such a way in your life that you have all of these resistance bringing you down. But Elijah made it through the ups and the downs. Elijah made it when people rejected him, when people attacked him. Elijah made it when his expectations failed. Elijah made it when he even thought he couldn't make it anymore. And I want to preach to those this morning that feel that. How did Elijah do it? How did Elijah make it? How did Elijah land the plane safely? How did he manage the shifts in his life? What I'm I'm about to tell you is not complicated. In fact, it's so easy. We complicate. Elijah shows us two things he did. And I promise you, church, today, as I stand here, and God is my witness, if you would live by these two simple principles, you'll make it. You'll survive. You'll enjoy your life. You'll see God move. You'll experience freedom. How can you say, Pastor, I need that today? Two simple things. In fact, it's so simple. Let me leave you on the edge here excited. It's so simple that it would not even make 
a New York Times bestseller list if he wrote a book on it. It's not one of those books, seven keys to freedom, 10 steps to victory, 20 reasons why. No, none of that. It's all garbage. Elijah can tell us today in our church, there's two things I did. These two things got me through depression. These two things got me when life was at its worst. These two things got me through rejection. These two things got me, and I am here, and I'm alive and well, and God has finished what he started because I did these two simple things. You guys ready? Verse 4 and 5. How easy is this? You will drink from the brook. And I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Here it is. Ready? So he did what the Lord told him. That's it. No, pastor, how's it be more? No, that's it. Trust and obedience. (laughs) Listen, church. No, pastor, no, it can't be. Listen to me. Your life will not be where it's at right now if it's terrible had you just simply obeyed God. That's it. Had you simply trusted his word. But because you trusted your instincts, your emotions, what the mercado, this person, this person, that person, the news, the paper, this said, this article, this vlog, this opinion, this story, this feed. Listen to me. When you trust this and do what it says, your life will be okay. Because Elijah heard God said, listen, Elijah, I know there's a drought. I know there's no water. I know things are bad right now. But I commanded birds to feed you. That makes no sense. But God says, I commanded birds to feed you. And I need you to go over here and you're going to drink from a brook. Had it been Elijah at Ford Fellowship, you would have said, but birds can't do that. No, 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 that's crazy. You've lost your mind. Birds don't do that. What if the bird eats it? What, what if, what, what if the bird doesn't show up? No, no, there's no water anywhere. Why would there be water in a brook? That doesn't make sense. Why don't we go to the Jordan River? There's more water there. It doesn't make sense. Everyone else is going to the Jordan River. No, but Elijah didn't say anything. He said, okay, God. How would your life be so different if we just adopted these two principles? Lord, I don't have to understand it. I trust you. And Lord, it makes no sense, but I'll do it. Elijah did what the Lord told him. In fact, the times that Elijah got in trouble was when he was led by his emotions, when he was led by a circumstance, or led by the words of people. And the reasons that you get into trouble in your life is because you are led by your emotions. I hear it all day as a pastor. A pastor, I feel, I feel, I feel. Your feelings are not facts. The word of God is. Let's just stop there because this is a, a, we live in a culture of too many emotions. We're led by our emotions, what you feel. You're led by what people say. The second Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. He forgot that God was his savior, that God was his protector. And he listened to that woman and understand something, men. Women are trouble. (laughs) But he was led. He was led by people. He was led by the circumstance. He was led by his emotions. And that's when you see Elijah going under. But those times that Elijah said nothing and did nothing but trust God and do what he said was the times that God moved, God did miracles, God blessed, 
and God changed. And if you want to see God move, if you want to see God do miracles, if you want to see God bless and change, do what Elijah did. Do what the word of God says and trust him. That's it. We complicate it. We write books on it. But it's this simple. I wish all my counseling sessions just started this way and ended this way. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, trust God, obey. Go. Leave it. Because half of the problems in our lives, if we're mature enough to handle this sermon, half of the problems, not all of the problems in your life, it's because you are doing it in a way that contradicts the Word of God. And you're trusting more in your emotions and opinions and ideas, and it's wrecking you. Life will shift, good and bad. The question is that when life shifts, what are you going to do? Let me prove it to you in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are what? Good. Be happy. Listen, when times are good, don't say it's too good to be true. No, 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 no. This is not real. No, this is not going to last. No, Listen, God says when times are good, would you just enjoy it? Just enjoy it. When times are good, be happy. You're like, happy? What's that? It's the way a child of God should live. When times are good, be happy. When times are what? There's the shift. You guys missed the shift. There it is. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad. Not if, but when times are bad. It doesn't say then be miserable. Then question God. Then be afraid. It says, when times are bad, consider. That word consider in the Hebrew literally means to think upon, to put your mind on. See, because when the shift happens in your life and things begin to shift for the worse and things are bad now, your mind goes crazy. It is active. Your mind begins to turn on and say, what are you going to do? What if this happens? What if the worst case scenario does happen? What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? How are you going to fix it? What if, what if, what if? And your mind will drive you crazy. Your mind will rob you of your peace. Your mind will cause you to live in fear. Your mind will lead you to depression. Your mind will lead you to chaos. Your mind will cause you to lose sleep. Your mind will cause you to lose your mind. And the Bible says, fix your thoughts on things above where God is sitting on the throne. So notice what the Word of God says. When times are bad, where does your mind go? Consider this. God has made the one as well as the other, meaning God is still God and in control. God has a reason. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. God is in control of your future. Not your boss. Not your government. Not a family member. God. And when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, shift your mind to God and say, Lord, you're still God. You still have a reason. And you're still in control. And, there, and God said this in verse 13. He says, who can straighten what God has made crooked? You know what God is literally saying here? There are some things in your life you can literally do nothing about. That person in your life, you can do nothing to change them or him, her, whatever. You cannot do anything to fix them. 
You cannot do anything about this. So just trust God. Through the hardships, through the failed expectations, and through the things that did not even work out. Life will shift. Good and bad. See, our problem in our society is we think there's a destination where if we reach, we'll always be happy, we'll always be good, everything will always be great. So that's why, Pastor, I need to find the right one because if I find the right one, we'll never fight. <laughs> no, if I find if I choose the right career, I'll I'll always go to work happy. <laughs> if you if you just if I need to find it, but there is not a thing in this world that's a constant state of happiness. There is a constant state of peace, and His name is Jesus. But a constant state of happiness is not found in anything in this world because this world is broken with sin. So stop lying to yourself. I'm missing out. What is it that I need? Where is it? Where is she? Where is he? What house? What car? What profession? What this? Then I'll always be happy because you'll see some of the people that have what you think you need to be happy and they have it and they're miserable. Because life shifts. Elijah will learn this the hard way. Life shifts. Look at verse 3 and 7 with me. Born Pentecostal up here. <laughs> Can I say that? Sorry. <laughs> okay. Verse 3 and 7. This is hard. Because let's, let's put it to where we can understand. Elijah's been three and a half years in this watery brook, feeding him with birds and everything. And then the brook dries up. And God says, leave here. The brook was nice. It was good. Until the shift happened. And it dried up. Church, are you listening? It dried up. See, sometimes good things come to an end. And that's what's hard for us to accept. That something that was giving you joy no longer gives you joy. Something that made you happy no longer does. What do you do when that brook that was always with you, the brook that took care of you, the brook that brought you joy, dries up? What is God thinking here? Why would God do this? Why would God take this away from me? God, do you not care if I die of thirst? Do you not care if I starve? Do you not care about me, Lord? Why would you why would you bring this into my life just to take it away? Why would God do this to us? I don't know. But consider the God of the good days is the God of the bad days, and he's doing it for a reason. Let me explain this to you in this passage. God said, go to Kareth, and you'll find a brook there. What's interesting is that the word Kareth comes from the Hebrew word Karath. Karath literally means to cut and to break clay. You know what God is saying here to our church? There were seasons. See, why would you ever 
cut clay. Why would you ever break it apart? Why? Because you're making something greater. There's something better in the horizon. And God says, the reason I'm sending you to Karab, the reason I'm cutting things out of your life, the reasons I'm taking things away, the reason that's not going to work anymore, the reason that was just for a season, but now it's gone, the reason he needs to go, the reason she's gone, the reason I took this away is because this does not fit to what I have for you next. So God says, I'm going to do some cutting in your life. But see, when God begins to cut things out of your life, we begin to say, why did I lose that? Why is God doing that? Why did God take that away? God, that was part of my life. That was a part of me. I've had them forever. That's who I was. And God says that was a season, but no longer is this a part of what's coming next. And God says, I'm going to begin to cut. And everyone wants this. Everyone wants God to change their life, to bless them, to use them. But no one wants to be cut. And God says, listen, if you want what I have for you, if you want to change and you want to live in my best and you want to be blessed, you're going to have to accept the fact that there are things in your life you need to cut. That's why when you first become a Christian, that's amazing, that's wonderful. But as you begin to grow in the Lord and you go to a church like this that preaches the Word of God, you're going to see God begin to cut you every Sunday. And God's going to say, oh yeah, yeah, that thing you used to do, that broke dried up. That's why people will come up to me and say, hey, Pastor, I had no idea that was a sin. Well, now you do, now cut it. And some of those things you used to do, you thought it was okay. It was a part of your life. But when Jesus came into play, he said, let's get the cutting. That's not you anymore. You got to cut that habit. That used to be new. But you're a child of God now, so children of God, they don't, they don't talk that way. Cut that word out of your language. Cut this attitude. Cut this habit that you have. Get this out of your life. And then as you begin to really grow, God says, okay, it's time to go deeper. Can I go deeper? Get them out of your life. Because they don't belong where I'm taking That's why it used to be good. It used to fill you. But now it's dry. Because it's no longer where I need you. You need to leave. You need to leave this. You need to move on. You got to cut the sin in your life. Well, Pastor, I, I, this has been a part of my life from childhood. This is, I, I'm, I grew up with this sin. I know it's wrong, but how do, I, how do I stop this? In the name of Jesus, you say, I'm dead to this. No longer am I this anymore. And you cut the sin out of your life. I got to cut this out of my life. I got to cut this out of my eyes. I got to cut this out of my ears. I need to break this. And God begins to break you. That's why when you're listening to the word of God and it feels like it's piercing you and it's breaking you, it's because God is molding you. That's why we can't be a happy, bubbly church all the time. I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you he loves you more listen, but you have to get cut sometimes in this church. Because God has something else in mind. And what's crazy is that what the devil shows you is this. Man, ever since you gave your life to Christ, look how broken everything is. Look how hard your life has become. 
Look how messy it is. But you don't realize, church, what looks like broken is actually God building. And the devil tries to get you to see this. That's why if you have this type of attitude, you mean to tell me if I become a Christian, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't. Listen, you're not going to make it. Everyone wants this, but no one wants to get cut. And when God begins to break something out of your life, and God takes someone out of your life, and God takes something that was a part of your life and you love that he says no more, you have to trust and obey. Trust and obey. That God is taking it for a reason. Verse 8 is one of the hardest words you're going to learn in the Bible. Verse 8. No, no, verse 8 of 1 Kings, please. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8. The Bible told, tells us that God tells Elijah, then the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 9. Here it is. What's that word? Go. hardest words. Go. Why did God tell him to go? Because God had something else. God had more. God had better. And there are some things and some people and some places that if you want to see God move, you want to see God better, you need to learn when to go when God says go. But it's hard to go sometimes. And it's hard to leave this, and it's hard to leave them, and it's hard, Pastor. I can't go. Why? The reason you can't go is because you're only thinking of the times it was full of water and flowing great. But it's time to go. Well, how do you know it's time to go? Because I know my church. That's it. Pastor, you're right. I'm leaving her. Pastor, you're right. I'm quitting the job. It's time to go. So I have to make this point. Two ways you know when it's time to go. Number one, what would have happened if Elijah did not go and stayed there? He would have died. He would have dehydrated. He would not have survived it would have gotten worse. How do you know it's time to go first and foremost? It's killing you. It's making you worse. You say, Pastor, I know that it was a part of my life, but now it's killing me. It's making me worse. The second thing, verse 8, the Bible says, in verse 8 and 9, put it up there again. The Bible says, the word of the Lord, let's say that together, the what? The word of the Lord came to him, and then he said, go. How do you know when it's time to go? Not only does something kill you, but before you go, you better make sure it aligns with the word of God. Why do I say this? Because sometimes we go when we should have stayed. And we stayed when we should have gone. Well, Pastor, how do I know? Listen, listen, let me give you a hypothetical. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, that's it, I'm going to quit my job. It's killing me inside. You're right, Pastor, it's killing me. My boss disrespects me. I'm miserable every time I show up. All my co-workers are terrible. They always criticize me. 
And every time I'm there, I feel the dryness, Pastor. That's it. And, and you're right, Pastor. And, and I believe that the Word of God is telling me to go. Quit the job. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. And I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I show up to your work one Monday. And I sit down with your boss and I say, hey, what's going on? Why are you disrespecting him? Well, because he never shows up to work. And when he does, he's late. And when I tell him to do something, he doesn't do it. And he's on the phone all the time. And he's stealing paper clips. Okay. And then I saw and I talked to your caller. Hey, why, why are you guys criticizing him? Because he stole my paper clip. Because he never shows up. He leaves the work to us. You see, the reason your brook is dry is because you're not lining up with the word of God that says in everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Sometimes the brook is dry because of us. Sometimes the brook dries because of God. You guys getting this? But make sure that when you go, that it lines up with the word of God. Because for years, I was telling this to Jerrica this morning. She couldn't believe it. I said, oh, yeah, woo. All the time. But I told her, for years, people with tears have sat down in front of me. I said, Pastor, the Lord is telling me to go from this church. And I was like, okay. Now I feel the Lord calling me to leave. And pastor, and this is what she couldn't understand. She's like, you serious? I'm like, yeah. They tell me, pastor, the truth is I'm not growing anymore. I'm not being fed anymore. Pastor, you've changed. And I said, yeah, I know I've gained a little weight. And they leave. Oh, but the word of God, God told me. And I said, okay, crazy, go. Go. But then I see that they're not even in church anymore. They're living in sin. Wickedness, evil. And I realize, see, and I look back and say, you know, that time that they said, I'm not getting fed anymore. I'm not growing. The, dro- the brook is dry. The reason that happens is because they were not trusting and obeying God. They were living in sin. And here the devil was telling me, wow, Pastor David, huh? Yeah, you're a great job. You let that lamb go. That sheep is gone. It must be you. And I feel bad. Man, is it me? Is it me? And then I realized some of the brooks in our lives dry up because of our own selfishness and disobedience. And then we say, we stamp it with God's approval. Church, do you receive this this morning? You have to understand that sometimes the brook dries up, but if the brook dries up, you better make sure it's God doing it and not you. Because I've sat with too many people, Pastor, that's it. The marriage is over, it's dry, it's gone, it's over. And I get that. But ask yourself, why? Because then you get remarried and dry that other brook. (laughs) Quit that job and dry another brook. End that friendship and dry another one. But Elijah only left because he knew it lined up and said it was the word of God. Elijah leaves in verse 17. 24 through 24. Elijah leaves. Everything's great. He has a widow now feeding him instead of a bird. Guys, right? Upgrade. The food is warm instead of cold from a beak of a bird. He has a house now instead of a cave. He's like, God, oh yeah, this is nice. 
We made it. But then there's a shift. Because life is a shift. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owed the house became ill. Grew worse and what? Worse. And finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what did you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from his arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy upon us and this widow that I'm staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself. Everyone say stretched. He stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy life return to him. The Lord heard his cry. The boy's life returned to him. And he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house, gave him to his mother and said, look, your son's alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God. Elijah experienced a worse shift. And I want to close with this here tonight. The first shift that took place in his life was when the brook dried up. Things went down. But God was already in control and said, now go to Zarephath. He goes to Zarephath and now he meets the widow. She cooks for him. She feeds him. He has a nice warm bed, a house. Everything's so much better. And he's probably saying, Lord, thank you. God, God, you know why this is so important for you, church? Because you're going to thank God for the things he cut out of your life. You're just not going to see it at the moment. And when Elijah was in Kirith, where God was taking it away because it dried up, he couldn't understand. But now he's in Zerpath, and everything is better and nicer. And he looks back and he said, man, this is so much better than that brook. And I want to tell someone here today, when you trust God and what he takes away, you're going to reach a point in your life, you're going to look back and say, thank you. Thank you for cutting them out of my life. Thank you for taking that out of my life. Lord, I didn't see it then. I didn't see it now, but I see it now, Lord. What you have is so much better. But see, what do you do when you're living better and then you experience another shift? Everything was good. Everything was fine. Everything was amazing. And all of a sudden, the boy got sick. That's a shift. And then he got worse. That's another shift. And then he got worse than worse. Well, that's a, another shift. Then he died. That's a shift they never saw coming. That was an unseen resistance that was bringing them to a stall that felt like everything was going under. And that might be you today. There's a shift in your life you never saw. You never saw this coming. You never saw it when you said, I do. You never saw it when they were born. You never saw it. But now there's a shift in your life that you are saying, Pastor, I never saw this coming. And now I'm here and I'm staring at this boy that's dead. What do you do when there's a shift you never saw coming? And you're saying, God, I understood you took the brook away from me, but why would you take a child away? Church, you ready for a word? The word kiroth in the Hebrew literally means cut, to break, to make clay, to mold. So God says, I'm going to cut things out of your life and it's going to look like a breakdown, but it's actually going to build you up and I'm doing something you don't even see yet. But the word zirfath in the Hebrew, zavrath, literally means furnace. The type of furnace you put clay in to make it firm and stronger. Woo! Can I preach this morning, church? Because um, 
I'm getting my Pentecostal napkin out. And I'm telling you this morning, when things get worse and there's a shift in your life you did not see coming, and you're like Elijah, say, God, this makes no sense. And why are you doing this? And things get worse and worse and worse. Could it be that now God has stopped cutting and you're in the furnace because what you're going through is making you stronger? How do you know it's making me stronger? Look at verse 21 and 22. Put it up there, Gabby, quick. Then he's stretched. Everyone say it. Stretched. The word stretched there literally means to grow with tension. Why are things so tense in my life? Because God says it's time to grow, baby. Not baby. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. Elijah stretched. Stretching. Oh, man, I don't like to stretch. Stretching so hard. But God is going to allow circumstances in your life to stretch your faith. To stretch your hope. Zirfath is a place, a furnace. When the temperature gets turned up, things get hotter and more uncomfortable and worse and worse. And I never saw the shift. And and Elijah was like, God, I don't understand why the shift, why the boy, why the child, God, that I understand the brook. When you took the brook away, that was difficult, but I got through that. But now, Lord, you're taking things away that are hard to accept. You're taking a child away. Elijah looked at this boy. He got him. He laid him on the bed. He's lifeless. I want you to look around. I imagine right now you're in that upper room with Elijah. Elijah's with you. And what's on the bed right now, church? What's on the bed? But what's your bed? What's your child? You're looking and you're saying, Pastor, it's, it's my marriage. There's no life in it. Pastor, it's, uh, it's my dreams. There's no life in it. Pastor, it's my child. When you, Pastor, when you talked about that child, I thought about my daughter. I thought about my son, who, who's out there in the world now. And I'd do, I do anything to have them next to me in church this morning. Can you see it, church? And Elijah is staring at this lifeless child and saying, God, why? Why? And God tells him, Elijah, stretch. And Elijah stretches over that boy. And Elijah does something he's never done. He prays. He says, Lord. And I imagine Elijah, his prayer went something like this, Lord. I don't understand this. Hey, God. This is hard. Lord, I didn't see this coming. This is a shift I can't handle. And Lord, I'm stretching. And it's so hard to believe. And Lord, I understood the brook and I got through that, but this is too much, God. But Lord, I'm stretching because you told me to. And Lord, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. Lord, this furnace is hot. This is hard. But Lord, I'm going to just ask you something. I know it's impossible. I know it's crazy. But would you just bring life back and revive this child? 
And I know, Lord, it's impossible because he's sick and the doctor said this and that and he got worse and worse and worse. But Lord, I believe the God that led me to the brook and provided for me is the same God that to bring life to what's dead. And the Bible says, and God heard his cry. Church, if there's anything I want you to know tonight, today, is He hears you in the furnace. He hears you crying. You say, but Pastor, why did God put him to that? Because He was trying to get him to stretch and grow his faith. And when Elijah saw that boy rise, Elijah woke up and said, There's power in prayer. That's why the very next chapter, in that chapter 18, he's standing now in front of thousands of prophets of Baal and all of these ungodly people. And he's saying, you want to prove that God is God? I'm going to pray for fire to come down and consume this altar that's covered in water. I'm going to pray for the impossible because I know that God does the impossible and God had to stretch him and when Elijah was stretched his faith grew and what you're going through this morning may be God stretching you for what he has next and Elijah goes down the stairs and my favorite part he gave him back to his mother I believe right now the Lord is telling you you're going to get back what you've lost. What you need to stretch. Let's all stand to our feet today. He gave him back to his mom. If there's anything right now you would say, God, I want this back in my life. Maybe it is a child. You're saying, I want this child back in my life. I want the spouse back in my life. I want my joy back in my life. We have a God that revives dead things. No matter how life shifts, God is in control. But Elijah prayed. Church, will you pray today with me for the impossible? I want to invite you all to come to this altar today. If there is a need in your life, there's something in your life that has shifted and you're saying, Pastor, when you come to this altar, I don't want God to hear little prayers, little cute prayers. I want God to hear prayers that are impossible. Prayers, no matter how dry your brook may be, no matter how dead your situation, God is stretching you right now and saying, I am still God. I am God when the brook dries. I am God when the child dies. I am am God when things are good. I am God when things are bad. I am the God that says, whatever I have cut, I had cut for a reason. Whatever looks like brokenness to you is actually me building you up. And right now you may be in a season where God is just stretching you. And he's causing you to grow. So pray today. No matter how ridiculous it sounds, would you pray? Would you pray for that person? No matter how far they are right now, would you pray for that dream? No matter how impossible it seems. Would you pray for that sin? You're saying, Lord, I need this to get cut from my life. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus and no other name, can we stand together as a church and on this altar? Father, you give, you take. Sometimes you give and take and you get and you get back. 
Father, I pray for every person here today who's going through a shift in their life, a shift in their marriage, a shift in their children's lives. For those who are going through the furnace, for those who have, are trying to understand why you cut this out of their lives. Father, in Jesus' name, hear our cry. Hear our prayers. Church, pray that prayer. Come on, pray that prayer. Don't let the devil tell you it's too much, it's too impossible. Pray that prayer. Stretch. Come on, stretch. Stretch those hands out. Stretch them, stretch them. God, I'm stretching in faith. Believing for miracles. I'm stretching in the name of Jesus. I'm stretching. Heavenly Father, as we stretch together as a church family. Father, help us to trust and obey. When you take, when you cut, and when you break something out of us, we'll trust you. When things get worse and worse, we'll trust you. When things shift, we'll trust you. When it feels like our lives hit a hot pocket, we trust you. As we look up to you, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. And then I come on, stretch people. Give a God a praise. Give God some praise this morning. God bless you guys. I hope you guys were blessed by that word. I finally finished that three-part sermon. Three-part sermon. So we'll never preach on this story ever again. 